Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. The sermon series for the spring and summer is called Conversations. Each week we will take a topic and have members of our congregation talk about it in a pre-taped interview. These conversations are not scripted, and they form the foundation of the sermon being spoken about that day. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Our next scripture lesson comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. You know I can't stay from, away from Genesis for too long. So, I'm back to it now, and this starts, with, starts like this. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. I don't know if you all realize this, but originally, if you're going to take the Bible very literally, we were vegetarians. We weren't allowed to eat meat at this point in time. So, anyways, that's a very literal translation, literal literal reading of it, though. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. So, before I get into it, you all know that this new sermon series is called Conversations. That's uh, what, what we are doing for this whole rest of the year until we get to September. And each week, we're going to start with a pre-taped conversation between members of our congregation. And today, the pre-taped conversation that you are going to be watching is about beauty. So, let's see it. I don't want to like talk over you. you so, okay, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. What makes a person beautiful? Uh, what makes a person beautiful is uh, when they're nice and they're helpful. I think you can take beautiful two ways. I think you can judge someone off their beauty based off of how they look, like their complexion, and you can base someone by their beauty off of their personality. So, yeah, it could be very shallow or it could be more you know, in depth. Like, I feel like it's not a very, there's no concrete answer to the question because there are so many different things about different people that are beautiful. And I think a lot of what makes someone beautiful is them being themselves as a person and who they are because everyone's different. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Are you a beautiful person? If someone asked you if you're beautiful, you would say, oh yeah, I'm totally beautiful. But like, you're you're you or yourself because you, the people around you are the ones that can really tell you you're beautiful not you you can't say that yeah i mean it's, hard to, it's a weird thing to think about too because if you think about yourself as crazy beautiful on the outside that's kind of a an inner beauty flaw in itself exactly, yeah. i feel like i probably not with my mentality but but I don't know. It makes me sad when I hear that because you're really, really beautiful in more ways than one. And I know I'm mean to you a lot, but I really do think that. And I'm not lying. I'm not being mean this time, I promise. 
I think I'm beautiful in God's eyes, but sometimes I do care what others think. But um, what's most important is really that you are beautiful in God's eyes, and I believe that I am a beautiful person in God's eyes. Who is the most beautiful person you can think of? I feel like all your role models are the most beautiful people you've ever met because that's the choice you make is to decide who your role models are. And that means for them to be nicer, whatever you look up to about them is beautiful in your eyes. Probably my mom. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> because she, like, she is very beautiful on the outside as well, but also she just gives up so much for us. Yeah, I was going to say she gives up so much for us. And, and she does so much for us. And I re I, it may not seem like it, but I really appreciate it. And I don't know where I'd be, like, I'm like tearing up. I don't know why I'm like crying. I'd say Jesus. He put us on this planet for a reason. Um, and like sometimes like if I'm feeling down or sad or like I'm just not happy, I look up to him and say, you know, take a deep breath in and out and say thank you for putting me on this world. What should a person do to make themselves more beautiful? For physical beauty, it's, you know, take a shower, you know, dress nice, I guess, and try and be presentable. And then for inner beauty, it's, it's a lot more work, and it takes a lot longer. I think you're beautiful the way you are, because, like, I know sometimes if I'm, like, trying to fit in or something, I'll just try to act all, like, not myself. And when you try to do that, people don't like you even more, so you just gotta stay yourself and then beautiful, I guess. So I think making yourself more beautiful just as a whole person involves doing more for other people and trying to live your life in the best way for yourself and to help others. Nothing really. You're beautiful when you're born. You know, you don't have to make yourself more beautiful. You c you're just beautiful when you're born. What do you think God considers beautiful in a person? Yeah, I don't think God would care at all about what we actually look like, which, yeah. I mean, that's kind of pretty obvious by the whole he made us thing probably thinks we're all equally mm -hmm. physically attractive just because we're you know beings to him but um that would mean that the only thing left to judge for him is inner beauty and like what we do with the time we're given and and uh who we help and how we treat people well when you grow up sometimes you seem to think that your society image is better than your um God image, and I think, I hope that wouldn't change for me, but I don't know. I hope it wouldn't change for me. Uh, I don't think it will. People are good. They make mistakes, but they're all still beautiful if we're talking about beauty from character. And so I think that regardless, like, God will still think you're beautiful. He'll still love you because you're his child, and he helped create you, so. Not bad, huh? So I want to start off by reiterating something that Emily Allen, one of the elementary age girls, said in that video. She said that as we get older, we tend to think that our society image is more important than our God image. And I think that that's absolutely 100% true. We all have two images, don't we? We have this outside image that the whole world sees. It's our external complexion. 
And then we have this image inside of our hearts, our, our internal complexion. And I think that the phrases she used to talk about this were just so dead on to that. I really like that. Society image, God image. And they really capture what this is all about. So when we're talking about external features, your body and the way that your face looks, whether or not those things are beautiful are all based on the judgments of society, are they not? Would you agree with me on that? And different societies, they have very, very different ways of thinking about what is beautiful. So if we're talking about America, we're talking about our society, we base beauty mostly on what we see in movies and fashion magazines. So if we're talking about women, females, generally you need to be uh, young, thin, blonde, probably blue-eyed, and you probably need to be white. That's important for our sense of beauty, female beauty in America. If you're male, you need to be tall, muscular, tan, You need to have these sharp, chiseled features, and usually, almost always, it's brown hair. So those are what we tend to think of as being beautiful people in our culture. But if you go to other societies around the world, our sense of what is beautiful in the Western world may not be the sense of what is beautiful to other people. For instance, let's say we went to South Korea. South Korea has a very different sense of beauty than we do, and they derive their concept of beauty from Japanese animation. Now, do you all know what Japanese animation is? Have you ever seen it? This is what it looks like, Japanese animation. And the characters in Japanese animation have very large eyes, very oval faces. These are features that are not natural to the South Korean population. Now, South Korea is the plastic surgery capital of the world. In 2014, there were 980,000 plastic surgery procedures performed on that population. That's 20 procedures for every 1,000 people. The South Koreans are spending huge sums of money to create a look that is not genetically common for their ethnicity. But that's just in our modern day and age. If we could go back in time, we could see that there's all kinds of different senses, and they've evolved over time. Let's say we go back to ancient Rome. Now, in ancient Rome, they had a very different sense of what ideal beauty looked like, particularly when it came to females. So in ancient Rome, the most common female body, the ideal female body, was a woman with fat and curves. The reason why is because weight indicated wealth. The vast majority of the population was thin because they couldn't afford to eat. And so if you had a more plump figure, what that showed was you had the means to feed yourself. So if you are thinking of Cleopatra, right? Cleopatra was known to be a gorgeous woman, right, at her time. Now, most of us in our day, what do we think of? We think of a fashion model, don't we? That's not what you should be thinking of. You should be thinking of a larger woman because that was the ideal female figure at that time. Now, what you'll notice with each of these examples is that when you look at America, South South Korea, or even ancient Rome, is that what is beautiful, what is most beautiful, is what is most rare in the population. The harder it is to achieve, the more we idealize that across the broader society. And of course this has an impact on the way we value ourselves, right? Because if you hit the genetic jackpot, 
and you happen to look like the standard that our society has put out there, well, then you are given permission to feel good about yourself. But if you happen not to meet that standard, if you are below the standard, which is like true for 99.9% of us, then you are made to feel as though something critical is lacking from your life. I have spoken in previous sermons about how much of our standard of physical beauty in America is derived from advertising. Every day we are bombarded with images that tell us of what we should and should not be. Every day, I think this is fascinating, the average American will see somewhere in the area of 3,000 advertisements. 3,000 advertisements. And these advertisements, they not only are selling us products, but they're selling us ideals of normalcy. They're trying to show us what a successful life looks like. If you look like these people who own these products and who are doing these things, then you will be happy. The person who really brought this home for me was the women's rights activist, Jean Kilborn. Jean Kilborn, she has done this presentation called Killing Us Softly, which talks about how advertising affects women and how advertising uses women to sell their products. And I'd actually like to show you a little clip from her presentation because it's really fascinating. She has some amazing insights into what it means to be a female, particularly in terms of advertising. Let's watch that. The Dove commercial called Evolution dramatically illustrates that the image is constructed. It is not real. isn't real, it's artificial, it's constructed, but real women and girls measure ourselves against this image every single day. As the media and advertising become global, the American image of ideal beauty is everywhere, transforming cultural differences. So the model in commercials and in ads throughout the world is young, thin, white, and usually blonde and blue-eyed, no matter what colors and shapes are the people looking on. Ann Becker's famous study found a sharp rise in eating disorders among young women in Fiji soon after the introduction of television to the culture. Our popular culture seems to have the ability to make women anywhere and everywhere feel absolutely terrible about themselves. And girls are getting the message these days so young that they need to be impossibly beautiful, hot, sexy, extremely thin, and they also get the message that they're going to fail, that there's no way to really achieve it. Girls tend to feel fine about themselves when they're 8, 9, 10 years old, but they hit adolescence and they hit a wall, and certainly part of this wall is this terrible emphasis on physical perfection. Basically, we're told that women are acceptable only if we're young, thin, white, or at least light-skinned, perfectly groomed and polished, plucked and shaved, and any deviation from this ideal is met with a lot of contempt and hostility. On the deepest level, the obsession with thinness is about cutting girls down to size. And what could say this more vividly than this relatively new size in women's clothing, size zero and size zero zero? Imagine a man going into a clothing store and asking for anything in a size zero, but our girls are taught to aspire to become nothing. So no wonder we have an epidemic of eating disorders in our country and increasingly throughout the world. 
I've been talking about this for a very long time, and I keep thinking that the models can't get any thinner, but they do. They get thinner and thinner and thinner. This is Anna Carolina Reston, who died a year ago of anorexia, weighing 88 pounds, and at the time she was still modeling. So the models literally cannot get any thinner. I hope that you all might take a little bit of time today to go home and actually just type in Killing Us Softly 4. She's done four iterations of this. You can watch it for free online. It's an amazing, it's about 45 minutes. It's a really important thing to see because I think it really brings home this whole idea of what she's talking about. And there's so much more than just the little bit that you saw right there. What I find to be so fascinating about all of this is that everybody sitting in this room knows that our society image, that it really shouldn't matter that much. And you can see that in the video, right? Every single one of those people, they knew that the internal complexion mattered so much more than the external complexion. But you could see an evolution in their thinking as they got older. The youngest ones in elementary school, they were able to articulate very well that really beauty really comes from what's inside. But as they got older, what happened? You could see how they were wrestling with the societal pressure that external beauty really does matter. The fact is, it's inescapable to us. And that's because, as Gene Kilborn says, we have, as a society, bought into this idea that physical perfection is something that is attainable. And somewhere along the way, we all decided, yeah, that's a thing that we should do, that we should strive as humans to be perfect. And this is what I find to be so interesting, is that it creates a paradox inside of us. When you strive for physical perfection, something happens inside of us that causes us to die in ourselves. It causes us to be dead and lifeless. And this is what Jesus' scripture is about that we read today. I love this scripture because it really gets at the core of this in a great way. So let's just bring it up. Let's just take a look at it. He, he starts off by saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says, For you are like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also, on the outside, look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now what is he trying to say with this? What he's trying to say is, you can do all the right things on the outside to convince other people that you have it all together, but that doesn't mean that on the inside it's all there. In fact, quite the opposite. We often use that external perfection as a mask so that people will not see the emptiness that we are hiding inside of our souls. What's amazing to me is, this scripture was written almost 2,000 years ago, And it is so dead on to what we are dealing with in our world today. And it speaks to something that I think is fundamental to what we are as a species. So I think all of us, on some level, we have this desire to present a certain amount of physical perfection. We want to have the idea that we are externally beautiful. Now, why? Because if you look like you have it together on the outside, then you are not going to be perceived as weak. And if you're not perceived as weak, then people can't take advantage of you. I think that's built into our genes. But there's a problem with that. Because I see that 
there is this correlation. And the correlation is between the more time you spend on external appearance, the more internal chaos you find in the person. And this is how it works. If you are focusing a lot on working on external perfection, the external person, then I think there is a direct relationship to looking on the inside and finding that that person's world is in total and complete turbulence and chaos. Now, the reason why you don't see that is because all of that physical perfection, everything that you see on the outside of their life is a mask, so that it's hard to see. If you've met people who are really good at external perfection, at really presenting that, you would think, well, they really got it all together. Because they have everything that you would expect them to have. Everything that society says is important, they got it. So if it's a nice house, a nice car, they have lots of money, lots of friends, they have all these people around them. And you sit there, and if you are an outsider looking in, you think, wow, they really got it all together. They got everything that you'd want. But what I have found is, is that whenever I think that to myself, I realize, "Uh uh-uh, if you scratch just a little bit beneath the surface, you will find that they are not as put together as they are making themselves out to be. They are using those beautiful features to hide the meaninglessness and the emptiness inside of them. And I'm not standing up here being judgmental because I want you to know that I totally fell into that category during a very particular time of my life, for a lot lot of my life when I was younger. That scripture that we read from Jesus where he's talking about the person, you know, in that, you know, the person who's, worried about external things, and inside is dead? Oh, that was me, 100%. When I was 18 years old, I spent six hours a day working out. Six hours a day. I had a bodybuilder's physique, so people would think I was strong, and nobody would try to contest me. I got into one of the best academic colleges in the entire country, so people would think I was smart and successful. I came from a family of means, so I had money. I had everything that society was telling me I was supposed to have, and on the inside, I felt miserable. And the only time, ironically, that I felt good about myself was when people were sharing their admiration of my achievements. That's the only time I felt good about myself. And that's the most important thing about external beauty, is that unless there is somebody there to admire it and tell you how much it is worth, External beauty means absolutely nothing. This is why that word, society image, that she used is so dead on. Because the society image is the image that society says, this is what you need to be. And without a society there to tell you that it's wonderful to support it, to basically validate that image, then you can get no joy or happiness from it. It took me a really long time to realize that working on things out here was not going to fix all of the problems that were going on inside of me. And so eventually I came to this realization, well, what I need to do is I need to start working on my internal complexion, the God image inside of me. But I think you all know, right, that intellectually we can all sit here and say, oh yeah, we should definitely work on what's inside. That makes sense, right? But it's much easier said than done, isn't it? Because when I started doing that, I didn't even know where to begin. Like, where do you even start with something like that? And what I came to find is that it's in something that Rosa said in the video that we watched. And I love the way that she says this. She says, what makes a person beautiful 
is who they are in themselves. Because everyone's different. And I think that's kind of beautiful. I think she's so spot on with that. A person is most beautiful when they are being themselves. Not what society is telling them to be, but the person who God intended them to be. And I believe that we are most being ourselves, the person that God intended us to be, when we are in touch with that image of God that is inside of us. Now, in the scripture that we read, it says that humans are created in God's image. That word image in the Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word tezelim, which is based on the root word tezel, which literally means shadow or reflection. And so humans are a shadow or a reflection of who God is. In other words, we are created to be a reflection of God. We are created to be like God. Now, I'm sure everybody in here feels like a God, don't you? Yeah? That's how you feel? No, nobody does, right? So what is this trying to say? If we're created in God's image, what is it saying? Well, what it's saying is, is that if you look at God's character, God's being in the Bible, if you look at the way that God is defined, particularly in the New Testament, it's probably best defined by the English word what? Love. So when you are most in touch with God's image inside of you, that means you are in touch with that spirit of love. The more you are able to love, the more you are going to be that person who God intended you to be. Sounds simple, right? Oh no, far from it. Just look at the way we put that video together. I think this is really interesting. So I believe that when kids are born, like when children are born, that they are most in touch with the image of God inside of them. And you can see that in the elementary age kids. Like God's love, God's image, I feel like it just shines through in everything that they do. But as they got older, you could notice, right? You noticed how much more they struggled with the concept of love. Loving themselves, loving others, because things got in the way of that. And you all know that as adults, many adults have been so affected by the negative experiences of their life that they have shut that part of themselves off. That they actually are not open to truly loving anymore. Because when you love somebody, right, What are you doing? You are making yourself vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, it can hurt. And so you just shut that off. And of course, what's left to focus on? Well, the only thing you can focus on is external things because you can control those things. I can buy a nice house. I can wear nice clothes. I can make my body look a certain way because I can control all that. And that's not painful, but this is. And so we shut that down. I really believe that human beings, we're really bad at loving. Like, I just don't think we're very good. I like to th- we like to think we are, but I don't think we are. And if you look at adults, there's a very small minority of them who make it into adulthood who are proficient at loving God, loving others, and loving themselves. There are just not many who can do it. Let me prove this to you. Think in your mind of the person in your life who has had the greatest impact on you. The person who you look to and you say, I respect you the most. Think of that person. Now, the reason why you feel that way about that person, more than likely, is because that person loved you for who you were. That person was very good at loving you. They accepted your faults and your flaws. They could see the potential inside of you, and they were able to allow you to become that person who you could be. Now, if you're thinking of that person right now, There's not many people like that in the world. You know that. You don't come across people like that very often. And when you stumble upon it, you know that it really is very meaningful, isn't it? 
When I started that journey to work on that person inside of me, that, that God image, I didn't have anybody like that in my life at that time who I could turn to, who saw the potential in me. I was on my own. And it was a great comfort to me when I read in the Bible this idea that God loved me for who I was, that God was not going to hold my mistakes against me, that God wanted me to become this different person and would help me. And so as I started to let go of that society image, what I realized is that God was helping me to actually love myself for the first time, which I know that sounds strange, but the fact is my love for myself was based on what other people thought of me, not on who I was. And each day, as I invested a little bit more in that, I look in the mirror, and I could see God's image pronounced a little bit more. And you know how I knew that? It's because I was able to love other people more in the world until eventually I realized that I was no longer deriving my worth and my value from the admiration of others, but from the love that I was able to release into the world. And so I want to end this morning by asking you a question. And I want you to look deep inside of yourself. And I want you to ask yourself, of the two images that you have, your internal complexion, your external complexion, which is more important to you? Is it your external complexion, your society image, what others think of you? Or is it your internal complexion, your God image, loving God, loving others, loving yourself? I know, we all know what the answer should be. Come on. I mean, we're not stupid. I'm asking you to ask yourself, What is it really? Where does it lean? And if it leans in the direction of society image, I want you to open yourself to a possibility. Because if you lean in the direction of the society image, what that means is is that you've closed off a little bit of your heart. The more you lean in that direction, the more you close it off. And for some people, it's really far down. For other people, it's closer. But I would ask you to open yourself to the possibility of allowing God to love you for who you are. That made a huge difference in my life. And I hope that if you lean in that direction, that you would allow that to happen. And I want to end with a quote from Rosa, because what she said, I think, was so profound. She says, we all make mistakes, but God will still love us. God will still think that you're beautiful, because God created you and you're his child. I hope that all of us in here can take comfort in the wisdom and truth of those words. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.